0: Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and the generous gifts of our listeners to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already partner with Fighting for the Faith, visit our website at fightingforthefaith.com and click on one of our friendly yellow buttons. One says join our crew, the other says donate. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. If you want to specify the amount, you click on the donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. And now, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, January 27th, 2014. Ready to kick off another week of discernment radio. (laughs) We're going to learn a little bit of uh, hermeneutics today. Kind of build off of uh, some stuff that I've done in the past. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically. Help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. Sadly, there's no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down and stop and then compare what people are saying to what God's word says in context. Now, along the way, you get to learn discernment and biblical hermeneutics some apologetics. Some dogmatic theology. We actually, we, we try to throw in a bunch of different theological disciplines into the program. Uh, if you stick with us long enough, you'll get to cover you know, quite a large swath of, of all of these different topics. But uh, today I want to talk a little bit about the concept of um, different levels of interpretation. Different levels of interpretation. You're thinking, uh, what are you talking about? What's a. A level of interpretation, well, think of it this way, okay, yeah, if you were to take a class in hermeneutics you might your professor might talk about the three levels of biblical interpretation, okay, and so uh, the idea behind it is is that um level one okay, and you know this is just basic stuff here, level one is what the words say. On the page, you know, let me give you an example. Okay, um, let's say we're reading through the Gospel of John, and we come to that text in uh, you know Gospel of John chapter two, the wedding feast at Cana, right? Uh, and so uh, you know, it says that Jesus turned water into wine. The, I mean, this the, the just the the text actually just says that. So, level one is just what the words mean, you know, on their face value. Um, You know, you have other passages that say, Jesus walked on the water, okay? So, what is, you know, level one is, well, Jesus walked on the water. Now, sometimes it gets a little bit tricky. Uh, you know, as far as, you know, what what to do with a level one uh, reading because sometimes the Bible uses what is called non-literal language. So, for instance, uh, you, you take a look at, uh, you know, the passage in the Gospel of Matthew and, and J- John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and he's pointing to Jesus, right? And, um, you know, so if you were there with a video camera and you had it on, John the Baptist. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he's pointing to Jesus. And so he did one of those, you know, snap overs, you know, with the, the video camera. And you were to take a look at Jesus real quick. You wouldn't see Jesus, you know, running around on four hooves um, going that, you know, that, that, you know, so you, you got to understand that. Um, a level one reading here also takes into account that oftentimes we're dealing with non-literal language or you could say, you know, a metaphor or simile or some kind of figurative uh, figure of speech that's uh, being that, you know, that is describing one of the attributes or just, you know, it's a, you know, a part of the whole, if you would. So um, but level one interpretations all about what the words say. Level two is different, though. Uh, Level two has to do with the significance of the text, okay? So uh, let me give you another example. We'll come back to our wedding feast at at Cana of Galilee, right? So it says, Jesus turned water into wine. What is the significance of that miracle? You know so a level two interpretation text takes a look at the text, and then you know the guy who's exegeting or preaching on the text will tell you the significance of what 's happening and what you can read on level one. And so, you know, I'm not going to hazard a guess as to, you know, how to understand the significance of, you know, a level two reading of the wedding feast at Cana and Galilee. Maybe somebody might say something to the effect of, "Well, you know, this is showing Jesus's deity. You know, he's Lord of the elements, or something like that." And you go, oh, "Okay, well, maybe that. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's something else." And oftentimes, in order to understand the significance of uh, of a passage. Um, You know, going, you know, taking a level one reading, and then understanding what what is it really trying to tell us here. You have to have a good command. Of, uh, of an understanding of how the Bible works together as a unit, uh, even though it 's you know sixty six different books written across thousands of years you know by a bunch of different authors you know it 's God the Holy Spirit who is the common author of every biblical text, and so you know you, you got some things that you have to take into consideration and, and this then lends goes back to the idea of scripture interpret scripture now one of my favorite, you know, ways of describing what's going on here. You, you want clear passages to govern unclear, and, uh, they, and these clear passages will govern our, our, our level two interpretation of Scripture. By the way, level three I'm not going to really talk about. Uh, this has more to do with what's called isagogics, and, you know, it gets behind, you know, tries to get behind the author and uh, explain why he's saying what he's saying. An example of that would be, well if you look you read through the gospel of John oftentimes Hebrew uh, words are translated into Greek or the the you know whoever wrote this is explaining to his audience what these words or ideas are which that tells us that whoever wrote this actually wrote it for a Greek speaking audience rather than a Hebrew a native Hebrew audience uh, from Cana you know so that would be kind of a level 3 interpretation you know and with each with you know with each iteration you know level 1 What do the words on the page mean at at face value? Level two, you know, is there significance? Level three is, uh, you know, the kind of the motive behind it. But with each step you go up, it becomes more and more difficult and it's prone to subjectivity. Okay. So you you get what I'm saying here. Um, So coming back to level two. All right. Let's say um, that you uh, were somehow miraculously transported back in time and space to Jerusalem on the eve of the Passover, when Jesus Christ was crucified, just outside the city gates of uh, Jerusalem. All right, you know, so, you know, maybe you know, Doctor Who shows up in the TARDIS, and you know, and you whoosh back in time, and you're able to uh, spend some time witnessing the actual crucifixion of Jesus. Now, um, without anything else, you know, and I mean, limit yourself to only what you are seeing. Could you explain the significance of the event? Now, that becomes tough, right? Uh, it becomes very difficult. Well, how, you know, theologically, how do you explain the significance? There's a guy, actually three guys on three crosses. Jesus is in the center, and, you know, and there's two other guys being crucified. Would well, they all look like they're in major pain and agony. There's blood everywhere. It's a, quite a mess. There's women crying and and you know and people shouting and jeering and and above Jesus' head you know is is the titulus that says um you know the king you know the king of the Jews right um and and so can you tell me the theological implications as to what's happening there what's the significance of the event and the, the sun is dark and things weird things are happening he cries out there's an earthquake and you know can you figure out what's going on theologically Chances are, no, you probably couldn't. And you're thinking, well, isn't he dying for the sins of the world? Well, yeah, but the reason you know that is because you have a text that explains that, okay? So without without access to any other passages of Scripture, you know, are you likely to come up with the correct significance as to what's going on, a correct level two interpretation that explains the theological significance of what Jesus is doing on the cross? The answer is, yeah, probably not, okay? so scripture interprets scripture then we would we need other passages to explain to us the significance of what Jesus was doing on the cross this is where we're going to look for level 1 readings that give us a level 2 significance uh, interpretation of the events that are recorded in the historical narratives in the in each of the four gospels regarding Jesus's death on the cross and so Uh, We would then go to Isaiah chapter 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. You know, uh, God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, there, just in a cold reading on level one, what the words mean on the page, we're now being given a level two uh, interpretation of what Jesus is doing on the cross. You could go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might be the righteousness of God, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's trespasses against them, right? So you you pull in other passages, like, or oh, 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus was crucified for our sins, it was buried and was raised again on the third day, right? So, you know, so we, with those passages, we have a level one reading that just what the words say on the page that gives us the significance of what's going on in those biblical texts, okay, regarding Jesus. So keep in mind as we listen to different. Uh, uh, you know, sermonizers, different pastors preaching and teaching. As we review them here at uh, Fighting for the Faith, uh, getting in the habit. And I'm going to try to start teaching y'all to get in the habit of, you know, is this level one or is this level two? And then here's the question: If it's level two, what? On Earth are they looking at to justify that interpretation that level two interpretation of a biblical text for instance uh, today we 're going to be actually we 're going to hear uh, two different pastors um, and i 'm really using the term loosely here um, we 're going to hear two different pastors in, in handling the uh, the story of David and Goliath. And, um, and as you listen to what they're saying, I'm going to point out the fact that what we're hearing from them is a level two interpretation without any justification within the biblical text itself to validate, that that level two interpretation that's telling us the significance of what's going on there now uh last week i pointed out the fact you know and this is one of the things i recurringly point out here at fighting for the faith that jesus himself makes it clear that all scripture is about him it's not about you it's not about me it's about him this is what he has said and so in some sense we must be looking at the old testament text and looking for the significance of those stories somehow has significance in telling us something about christ telling us about our redemption telling us about our salvation and uh, what god has done for us and you know and then the, the book of hebrews talks about the fact that in the old testament we have types and shadows but the reality is Jesus. So you know, if we're looking for level 2 significance, you know, a level 2 interpretation that is that is in key that's keyed in with the concept that the scriptures are about Jesus, then you know we need to be looking for things but then you know, we need to be looking for Jesus in these texts and finding a way to pull back the significance of the text and roll it up into something that is about what Christ is doing or has done for us that, and I base this on what Jesus has said. Now, I know all of this might seem a little complicated. If you're a little bit fuzzy on it, maybe go back and re-listen to what I just said. But don't worry, I, you know I will be kind of reiterating this along the way. So, a little bit of a you know hermeneutics class, if you would, to uh, to give you something to hang on to. And I'm going to be pointing some of this stuff out. Um, especially in the second half of this first hour and then in hour number two of uh, Fighting for the Faith. And, uh, you know, so you know, all I can say is buckle up, get ready. We've got a lot of things that we're got to do today. So let's talk about what we are going to do here at uh, Fighting for the Ta- uh, Faith today. We've got a money-grubbing televangelist update. And um, the, the Potter's House, uh, <clears throat> where... Um, uh, T.D. Jakes holds court is, uh, you know, they're going to be holding a pastors and leadership uh, conference soon, soon, soon. And one of the people they're going to be featuring is a guy by the name of Dr. Uh, Doctor E. Dewey Smith. E. Dewey Smith. And uh, they've just put out a promotional video recently for the upcoming pastors and leadership uh, 2014 conference being put on by T.D. Jakes and the gang. And I want you to hear what this Dr. E. Dewey Smith is saying in this video to see if it makes any biblical sense to you, because it sure doesn't make any biblical sense to me. Then we'll take a break, and then when we come back, uh, we have a, um, a Joel Osteen update. Um, yeah, we have a Joel Osteen uh, update, that, and we're going to be listening to his recent message that recently broadcast entitled, The Rain is Coming. The Rain is Coming. And uh, and then we have a uh, Stephen Furtick update, and we're going to be listening to a portion of this Sunday's sermon uh, by uh, by Stephen Furtick. Uh, in fact, let me find the name of this thing because the, the name of it is actually kind of interesting. Hold on a second here. Elevation Church here we go. The name of the uh, the sermon we're going to listen just listen to a portion of is it. called Sticks and Stones Slingers and Swingers Keep Your Distance now we're not going to listen to the whole thing but we are going to listen to enough of it to kind of key in on this fact that um, i want you to start listening for level one and level two interpretations and if somebody is uh you know by the way this if somebody's taking a level two interpretation to obliterate what is be, actually says on level one yeah you probably are dealing with somebody who's twisting god's word just just saying and then in hour number two uh, we have a sermon review from uh, what is, what's the name of this church that uh, we're going to be Reviewing this sermon from oh yeah Freedom Worship Center, Freedom Worship Center. We're going to be uh, uh, reviewing a sermon called uh, "Ordinary to Extraordinary," and the reason I picked it is because uh, in the sermon, the uh, the pastor there uh, picks up on some of the same thing things that Stephen Furtick picks up on. But my question is, where are they getting this level two interpretation of of these texts? So yeah we got a lot of ground to cover and i know you're sitting there going I, you know, I don't know i don't know if i know what you're talking about just just write it out trust me uh you'll we'll, we'll all land on our feet at the very end of it so since we're doing a money-grubbing televangelist update that requires me to do well this
1: don't want no loving don't want no kissing Don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the hall of fame. Just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce, hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats let me walk around and wallow in Mazuma. Eldenero. wanna be a millionaire. Give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition, that's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits, I'm a demon in addition. Give me shackles, give me pesos, let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. You wanna get me a suit? That's made out of loot and whistle to wear the green. I got that monetary itis like be just like me, Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. Any sum I can and equal. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. I'm a collector, I'm a paper bill inspector, I'm a savage for their cabbage man, to me is golden nectar, pour that filthy lucre on me, spread those loving germs upon me, money, 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 money. And if they ever plant trees of each of you know, I want to be the guy today, send out to brew oh give me money, money.
0: Well, there we go, Dr. Teeth and money, 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 money. all right. Yeah, you just got to love that. All right. Okay, so what we're going to be listening to is just a short little promo video for the upcoming Pastors in Leadership 2014 conference put on by T.D. Jakes and the Potter's House and those kinds of folks. And we're going to be listening to Dr. E. Dewey Smith. And there's going to be kind of sappy music playing in the background, and what you're also going to hear is some kind of a testimonial. The, the video begins with a little brief testimonial talking about the importance of what it is they're going to be Learning and hearing from the Pastors and Leadership Conference 2014. And then we'll get right into um, Dr. E. Dewey Smith and talking about, um, well, um, pistons and spark plugs and stuff. Yeah. Here we go have
2: not because you ask not, you know, and, and, and to come here and get fed like we're getting fed, it's an awesome meal. I can't wait to continue the course.
0: Every- All right, so, uh, so you, you don't have because you don't ask, and we're going to get a a great meal. So here's, a, here's something to whet your appetite of the type of meal that you're going to be receiving at the uh, Pastors and Leadership Conference March 6th through the 8th in orlando florida put on by uh, td jakes and the gang um here's dr e dewey smith listen to this see if you can make any sense of it
2: Every tune-up there has to be the changing of spark plug and when you are going through a tune-up as the spark plugs are changed the manufacturer always designs that spark plugs are never in numer- numerical numerical order they don't go sequentially. In other words, odd spark plugs are placed on the left.
0: What's an odd spark plug versus an even spark plug? What is he talking about? Even spark
2: plugs on the right. Uh-huh. So, spark plugs one, three, five, and seven on the left. Spark plugs two, four, six, and eight are on the right. And when the engine fires, the spark plugs don't connect one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They never move and operate in order spark plugs are always out of order and that was divine and designed by the
0: manufacturer that so it was divine that the manufacturers came up with the idea that spark plugs never fire in order now, i don't know anything really about how combustion engines work but um yeah something tells me something fishy is going on here and uh, they, you know, they, they, in the video, they show guys literally standing up, feeling like they're oh, they're res- they're receiving some kind of major message or blessing from God by what they're hearing. And I'm hearing complete nonsense.
2: And so I had to ask my heavenly manufacturer, God, why is it that in our lives? Things sometimes don't go in order. One, two, three. Why aren't things logical? Why aren't things reasonable? It would make sense if it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He said, No. No, no, no. He says, here's why. Because if it went in order, one, two, three, four, five, that will cause too much compression. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Whew. Wow. So God actually told you that. So you ask God, how come things don't go in order, you know, and how come they're like spark plugs? And God said, because if they went in order, it would cause too much compression. hmm Wow. So, I mean, those of you out there who are suffering from spiritual compression. You know, it may be that your spark plugs are firing in order and you, you need to get that checked by the heavenly manufacturer because they shouldn't be or firing in order because, you know, <laughs> by the way, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm saying words, but I have no clue what they mean.
2: An unnecessary and enormous compression on the head gaskets.
0: And- mm, yeah, compression on the head gaskets. Yeah. So, yeah, see, that's why (laughs) – apparently God told him this. I have to back this up because this is divine revelation that if you have your spark plugs firing in order, it's going to cause too much compression and put pressure on your head gaskets. (laughs) Does anyone know where their spiritual head gasket is? I'm a little lost here. Let me back this up. Here we go. Because if it went in order, one, two, three, four, five,
2: that will cause too much compression. And unnecessary and enormous compression on the head gaskets. And if it went in order, too much compression on the head gaskets will blow the head.
0: And you- yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there, you know, um, so if, if you if your spiritual head gasket has blown ahead, it's because your the spiritual spark plugs were firing in order and the divine manufacturer never intended for (laughs) your uh, spiritual spark plugs to be firing in order like that. And um, if you're at a complete loss like I am and have no clue what it is I'm talking about, trust me when I tell you, I have no idea what I'm talking about either. (laughs) This is one of those things where, you know, you just kind of write a big question mark and go, "Uh, yeah, your guess is as good as mine. And of course, you know, the the next question that comes up is uh, where did he get any of this from? Cuz this is some kind of level 2 interpretation, you know, the significance of what the Bible is teaching us is the the, the importance of understanding how to not expect your spiritual spark plugs to be firing in order otherwise your head gasket's going to blow out. Um <laughs> yeah, so um do, do any of you all know which biblical passage teaches any of this cuz I sure don't. In fact, I'm fairly certain that God's word teaches none of this, so you get what I'm saying. All right. We are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We have a Joel Osteen update, a Stephen Furtick update, and stay tuned for hour number two. We have a kind of a weird uh, sermon that we need to review along the line those lines too. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Living a life
3: of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
1: You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now.
3: Presents Church Day Select.
4: Okay, then uh Mr Haas. The results of the test have come back.
5: Well, what are they, Doc?
4: Uh, not good. That's what.
5: What do you mean? What's wrong with me?
4: Where do you want me to start?
5: Is that all mine?
4: That and the seven other stacks of paperwork just like it. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, indeed. I guess we can start off with the good news. Okay. You don't have cancer.
5: Oh, thank God.
4: Funny that you'd say that. Why? Now, don't get ahead of yourself... As I said before, you don't have cancer. And that's about it for the good news. Huh? Moving on. This here is an x ray of your esophagus and your stomach. Wait! What is that? Please try to stay calm while I explain the prognosis. What? For the sake of contrast, I've included the same type of x ray from a healthy patient. Oh no. Oh no, indeed. Now I've seen my fair share of cases like these, but nothing has ever compared to what you've got going on.
5: Uh, Are those?
4: Yes. Those are pentagrams emblazoned on the unprotected skin of your esophagus.
5: Is that the reason For your
4: heartburn? Oh no. Not even close. If you look closely, we've identified this black lump in your stomach as brimstone. That is the cause of your heartburn. And no, Nexium won't fix it.
5: How can this be happening to me?
4: Well, to put it simply- You've contracted a religiously transmitted disease. But how? Well, there are many ways. One of the more common ways is to preach heresy and to openly accept the teaching of the devil and his ways. But, 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 but. Oh, trust me, this is only the tip of the iceberg. Do you know how much sulfur we found in your golan? You
5: found what in my what?
4: Sulfur. You see, it's normal to find in some of the victims of possession, but you were something extraordinary. We found three whole pounds of it in there.
5: Three pounds?
4: Don't even get me started on the pH of your blood, though. Hoo-wee! That was some nasty stuff. Melted right through our equipment when one vial exploded in the centrifuge. Yes, sir. You've got yourself a really nasty religiously transmitted disease.
3: What am
5: I gonna do?
4: For starters, I would stop spewing those lies you passed off as sermons down at your church. That should start to alleviate some of the burning sensations. on that note, I would suggest some good old-fashioned expository teaching because the only thing that's going to fight off this disease is the word of God.
1: I can't believe what I'm hearing.
4: That's obvious. You certainly won't be able to unless a father himself draws you.
5: There's got to be an easier way.
4: i got to ask you, have you considered baptism? What's
5: that got to do with anything? Oh,
4: I don't know. Circumcision of the heart not done by human hands for the forgiveness of your sins. Ring any bells? You're not- Well, if you don't want to do any of that, I guess all I can do is fill out your prescriptions. Here you go.
5: What? What's a three-month supply of
4: vision lack supposed to do? Oh, trust me. You're gonna need it.
0: more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about pirate Christian radios. Featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. listening to fighting for the faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church especially if your pastor's second level interpretations of biblical text can't be justified by anything in any other biblical text just a reminder fighting for the faith is listener supported radio that means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring fighting for the faith to into the world and you can partner with us by visiting our website Fighting When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says Donate, the other says Join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508. 508- Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Okay, moving along, we've got a Joe scene update, which requires us to do, well, this. When I'm feeling lonely,
5: sad as I can be. All by myself in uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy? Fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw. My shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth that twinkle just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth that sparkle adding beauty to my face. My shiny teeth that glisten just like a Christmas tree. You know the walk.
0: And me. All right, that's Chip Skylark and My Shiny Teeth and Me. That's our Joel Osteen update music. Okay, so the name of the message we're going to be listening to a snippet from from Joel Osteen is entitled, The Rain is Coming. The Rain is Coming. And uh, this was broadcast just this week uh, on uh, stations all across the universe. <clears throat> Here's Joel Osteen. Here we go.
3: I like to start with something funny and I heard about these three sons that left home and went out and prospered. They got back together to talk about the gifts they had bought their elderly mother. The first said, I built mom a big house. The second said, I got her a fancy car. The third said, since mother loves to read the Bible, but she can barely see, I got her a specially trained parrot that can quote the entire Bible. A few months they got a letter from their mother. said, Milton... The house you built me is way too big. Gerald, the car you bought me is way too small. But my dearest Donald, your simple gift was my favorite. The chicken was delicious. (laughs) Hold up your Bible. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. Notice who's at
0: the center of that particular creed.
3: I, I, I. That's the I creed. I am, I have, I is, you know, all that kind of stuff. (laughs) i can do what it says i can do today i will be taught the word of god no you won't i boldly confess my mind is alert my heart is receptive i will never be the same in jesus name god bless you i want to talk to you today about the rain is coming the the what's coming The,
0: the rain is coming well, I'm in Indianapolis, and uh, we haven't had any rain. We've had a lot of snow, and, man, it has been cold here. Yeah, I mean, we've had – in fact, tomorrow, I think the, the, you know, the, the overnight low is going to be like negative 10, negative 11, somewhere in there. And the high tomorrow is going to be like two. <clears throat> so we, we're, not, we're not expecting any rain here in Indianapolis
3: anytime soon. What are you talking about? I was in Africa years ago, and there was a severe drought. The ground was so dry that it was breaking apart. The vegetation had all dried up. The livestock couldn't survive. It was barren, empty, no life, all because there had been no rain. And every person goes through times of drought, dry seasons when we don't see anything happening. Mm. Okay, so
0: you went to Africa and they literally had a real drought. Mm-hmm. And now you've springboarded from a literal drought in a literal place that's literally called Africa into a, an allegorical, non-literal, quote, you know drought um, that uh, we
3: experience in our lives. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've got big dreams. We're standing on God's promises, but yeah. we just don't see anything changing. Yeah.
0: Maybe the reason why you ha- you know, you're not seeing anything changing is because you've deluded yourself. Uh, Because immediately my question is, where in the Bible does it say that if you have a big dream that God is somehow, you know, required to make your dream come true, this big dream for yourself? Where is this big dream thing taught in Scripture, you know, specifically? And then, of course, if it's not happening, then you're having an allegorical, metaphorical, non-literal, droughtish type thing happening to you.
3: It's dry and barren. Yeah, You can be blessed in one area and in a drought in another. Mm. Have a successful career, but you struggle in your marriage, a drought in a relationship.
0: So, you, so I mean, don't look at your life as you know, somehow unilaterally. It's either all raining or all droughtish. You can, so, for instance, if you're overweight, maybe you have an overweight issue and you're not losing weight properly, so you, ha- you have a, weight, a, dr- a drought in your weight life. But then things are good at work, so then it's raining there. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Right. And where does the Bible teach us to view our lives in this way?
3: Or you can have a great marriage, but you just don't feel well. Mm. A drought in your health. I know a lady, she has everything going for her. She's beautiful, talented, successful. But year after year, she struggles with the same addiction.
0: So she has an addiction drought, even though she's really doing. She, it's raining in other parts of her life. It's just that that section of her life is dry. Again, where does the Bible teach us to view our lives in this non-literal way?
3: Uh, Easy to think this is the way it's always going to be. I'll always be lonely. I'll always have to deal with this depression. I'll always struggle in my finances. By the way,
0: I've been reviewing Joe Osteen clips for years now. Have you ever noticed that the the example he always goes to is kind of like somebody like Eeyore. You know, okay, and the reason I say it like that is because when Joel Osteen says it it doesn't quite come off like Eeyore, but if I were to take those words and put them in Eeyore's mouth, all right, everybody would recognize where that's coming from. I'll never
4: be happy. I'll never get out of this situation. I'll always be lonely. Yeah.
0: You know, do you, you know, now? Listen, I have rarely in my life, and I mean this in the like the truest sense of the word rare. I have rarely ever encountered anybody who is a true Eeyore like that. Oh, all oh, this situation's probably gonna be the death of me. I'm never gonna ever gonna get out of this situation. Have you? I mean. Most of the people I run into, you know, when you know, they come across hard times or difficult situations in their life, they, they don't all of a sudden resort to, oh, well, this is never going to ever going to get better. I, it's just going to be the worst thing ever. In fact, it's probably going to get worse. You know, I, I don't know anybody who's like that. Most of the people that I talk with, you know, they, when tough times come, they say, yeah, this is a very difficult situation. Please pray for us. We're not sure how we're going to get through it, but we'll find a way. That's generally how most people talk. But notice when Joel Joel Osteen talks about this person, you know, talks about people, you know, they're always saying things like, oh, I'll never be happy. Oh, all this and I'll never be. But it's Eeyore. It's just, it's Joel Osteen, you know, know, taking the Eeyore-ish out of it because he's always so happy and all this kind of stuff. But this is the exact
3: type of stuff we would hear from an Eeyore. Now, I want to announce that in 2014, that drought is coming to an end. Uh, huh. Okay,
0: backing up the audio, we got to go back through the Eeyore segment. Um, where is he getting the authority to announce that 2014's going to be different than
3: whatever? Listen. It's easy to think this is the way it's always going to be. I'll always be lonely. I'll always have to deal with this depression. I'll always struggle in my finances. No, I want to announce that in 2014, That drought is coming to an end.
0: Okay, so Joel Osteen apparently has authority from God on high to announce that whatever drought you're going through and whatever segment of your life is being droughty-ish, that it's 2014, the drought is coming
3: to an end. Uh Uh-huh. Where does the Bible say this? Any area of brokenness, dryness, loneliness, every empty place, if you will stay in faith, God is going to rain down favor rain down healing, rain down restoration. Psalm 68 says, you sent an abundant rain, O God. All right, now, this is
0: where I want to come back to what we've been talking about. The verse he's quoting to somehow show us that this is what God is telling us this morning or this this day here is Psalm chapter 68 or Psalm 68 verse 9. You sent an abundant rain, O God. Now, what I want to point out is this, is that Joel Osteen, all the way up until just now, was doing a level two interpretation. He was telling us the significance of a particular biblical text. At least that's, I think, the right way to look at this particular sermon. And the text in question is Psalm 68, verse 9. But you know, when we look at Psalm 68, verse 9, the question is, Does the level one reading of Psalm 68, verse 9, justify the level two interpretation that he's given? Okay. Now, I I understand. This is the first time I've really introduced these categories here at Fighting for the Faith. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, and they are context, context, and context. And we're going to take a look at what's going on in in Psalm 68, and we're going to look at a level one reading to see if the level two interpretation that Joel Osteen is giving us can even remotely be justified by what the text is actually about and what it's saying. So we're going to look at Psalm 68. I'll start at verse one. Here's what it says. God shall arise. His enemies shall be scattered and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so shall you so, you so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad; they shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God; sing praises to His name. Lift up a song to Him who rides through the deserts. His name is Yahweh. Exalt before Him father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious shall dwell in a parched land. O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness... The earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. Now, I'm going to stop right there, okay? The context in which verse 9 appears is a recounting of Sinai, okay, and God taking his people out of slavery in Egypt. Let me read it again o oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earthquake, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the One of Israel, rain in abundance, O oh God, you shed abroad, you restored your inheritance as it languished, your flock found a dwelling in it in your goodness, O oh God, you provided for the needy, okay, so the rain here it's that's being described is not a literal rain this is a this is a non literal rain that's talking about god's Provision, God's abundance, and his restoring his inheritance and leading his people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, and taking care of and restoring them. This is what this is about. Okay? So, when we take a look at what's going on in level one, we now have to ask the question. Is it a valid interpretation of this text to say that God now in 2014 is going to pour out rain in your life in order to dry up the droughty portions of your life, whether it's, you know, you're struggling at work, you're struggling in a relationship, uh, you're not happy with the way your kids are behaving, maybe your financial situation has gone awry. Is it a valid level two interpretation to declare in 2014 uh, that uh, God's going to rain now on you because uh, Psalm 68, verse 9 says, Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. The answer is no. This is not even close to a valid. Uh, interpretation of psalm 68 verse 9 um he's not even he didn't quote it in context and what he's saying regarding the significance of this text doesn't apply at all there's in fact there's no reason whatsoever to uh, to believe that psalm 68 verse 9 is promising um that god's going in 2014 to dry uh, to you know basically provide water and rain for the dry portions of your life this is a complete twisting
3: of god's word why don't you get that in your spirit? You're about to see an abundant rain. Every drought is only temporary. That dry season is not going to last forever. Why? The rain is coming. That addiction is not going to be with you your whole life. Rain is coming. Struggle and lack is not your destiny. It's temporary. Rain is headed your way. Some of you have been in a drought in your health. Chronic pain. You don't feel well. You could easily settle there. You need to get your umbrella. I see clouds starting to form. Maybe in your career you feel stuck. You can't seem to get a good break. You got passed over for the promotion. Don't get discouraged. God has something better for you. So apparently all of this
0: that, that Joel Osteen is now just going on and on and on about, you know, get your umbrella. God's about to do something great and start raining in your life is all based upon Psalm 68, verse 9. This that this verse doesn't say any of the things that he's saying, nor is it a valid interpretation of this text in, in what he's providing for us. He's providing a level two interpretation of Psalm 68, verse 9, that is completely not even remotely connected to what the passage is actually saying. He's not engaging in sound biblical hermeneutics, sound biblical exegesis, and what he's saying is completely nonsense, given the
3: text that he's supposedly preaching from. Not going to be a drizzle, not a sprinkle, but a downpour, an abundance of rain. When you get up in the morning, you need to declare it. Father, thank you that the drought is ending and the rain is coming. Thank you that in 2014, I'll see an abundance of your goodness in my life.
0: Yeah, you can declare all you want, but it doesn't mean that any of that's going to really happen because God's word doesn't teach any of the things. It doesn't say any of the things that Joel Osteen claims that it's saying it it doesn't imply it it's not a valid interpretation of the biblical text uh, you're basically uh, creating promises where there are no promises creating hope uh, where god has not spoken and the reality is this is that many of the people listening to his message uh, rather than 2014 being a time of great rain and abundance uh, maybe the drought is going to get more severe uh-huh and when that happens do you think people are going to jettison Joel Osteen? No. Chances are they're probably going to doubt their own faith, their own worthiness. They're they're not going to see Joel Osteen as the problem. They're going to end up thinking that they're the problem. And as a result of it, they're going to literally think that God has turned against them. But the reality is this. They've never been taught in what way God is truly for them. They haven't been taught the truth. They haven't been brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They've been only taught about some God who's kind of like a genie who, if you muster up enough faith and declare the right things over your life, will somehow you know, smooth out all of, the thing, all of the things and give you prosperity and abundance and great health and stuff like that. But, yeah, the Bible nowhere teaches any of that, and Joel Osteen wouldn't know how to, biblically, how to correctly handle a biblical text if his life depended on it. All right, moving along. Yep, time for a Stephen Furtick update. Another example of, um you're going to get a, a second level interpretation that has like no warrant in the actual first level text itself. Yeah, just hang on, I've got to do this. You
5: walked up to the pulpit Like you were a man of God You'll Your hands strategically cut To the new style The beaver was baked their mentor, you'd be their mentor and you're so vain. You probably think the Bible's about you, you're so vain. I bet you think the Bible's about you, don't you, don't you? Who me? several gospel, heard the real gospel, and you're so vain, you'll probably think the Bible's about you, you're so vain, I'll bet you think the Bible's about you, don't you, don't you?
0: All right, so we're going to be listening to a portion of uh, this past Sunday's sermon by Stephen Furtick entitled Sticks and Stones, Slingers and Swingers. And uh, notice what we're going to be getting from Stephen Furtick is he'll be reading portions of uh, 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath, and he's going to be then switching from what the text says, Level 1, into a Level 2 interpretation and the significance of what's going on in that text. Let me go ahead and kill this music, though. All right. And the the level two interpretation, what on earth is – where on earth is he getting this idea that somehow this story, the significance of the story is about you learning how to – Find steps that you can apply to your life so that you can achieve some grand dream vision thingy for your life. Yeah, that's what we're going to be listening to. So without any further ado, here is Stephen Furtick from Sticks and Stones, Slingers and Swingers, and a narcissistic, isogetical reading, second-level interpretation, if you would, of uh, the story of David and Goliath. Here we go.
6: This, this week, specifically in my message,
0: um, I am assigned, I feel
6: like, by God. To help you get above some stuff that's been dragging you down,
0: it's week four of our Sticks and Stones series. So he is tasked by God to help us get above things that are dragging us down. Okay, so we're being dragged down rather than in being in a drought. That would be a, that would be Joel Osteen's way.
6: And this is the week I know you've been waiting for it, where we are finally about to kill Goliath, Stone
0: Cold dead um we are about to we we i thought david killed goliath
6: about to take him out together and uh next week we'll cut off his head but this week we're just gonna (laughs) knock him out and kill him the most violent series in the history of our church i feel like i need to offer an apology to all the women of our church for the violence factor of this series but we'll We'll uh, balance it out. I'll preach about love sometime this year or something like that. <laughs> Valentine's Day. Um, so if you brought your Bible or if you want to pull it up now, we also put the scriptures on the screen. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we studied last week um, about passion. And each week we've had a different word that starts with the letter A that kind of gives a centrality to our, the content of our, our study. first week was anointing anointing, the, the 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 things that God has called you to do, he'll also empower you or anoint you to
0: do. That's a biblical term. And uh, you're anointed to accomplish your assignment. Okay, where in the Bible does it say, I'm anointed to accomplish my assignment? Where am I the anointed one? Now, this is important, okay? When we talk about Jesus, you, people say, well, he's the Messiah. He's the Christ, right? Both Mashiach. And Christos, the Hebrew and the Greek words, mean anointed one. He's the anointed. Where in the Bible does it say that you are anointed? Now, there is some concept of anointing as it pertains to Christians. But what are they anointed for? And is he really correctly talking about this? Notice he's talking about being anointed for a special purpose, anointed for a special assignment. Is, is Where does the Bible teach that?
6: You absolutely are. And the second week we talked about ability. How God puts down in you what he needs you to have to accomplish what he's called you to do. Wherever he's placed you. Ability. And you got to develop it. you gotta, you got to grow it. you gotta, you got to work it. Touch somebody, say work it. You work your gift and develop it and grow it so you can be all that God's called you to be. The third week we, we did talk about having a passionate attitude. That was the, the word. Uh, attitude. And this week I want to talk about the word approach and ask you to open your heart to what God wants to say, because we're going to see David on the day that he goes to kill Goliath, which incidentally, he didn't know he was going to do that day. You know, sometimes you wake up and you have no idea what opportunity God might put before you that day. That's why you're
0: wise to come to church. Okay. Now notice. Okay. Okay. So he, he mentions the fact that David got up and he didn't know that day that he was going to kill Goliath. So we kind of sorta got A little bit of a level one, but not really. It was out of context. And then immediately the significance, well, the significance of that is because, well, you have something important for you to do. How is it? What what in the text would indicate that the significance of the story of David and Goliath is something, some great opportunity that's going to show up in your life? What in the text would key us into the fact that this is a story about us overcoming obstacles that are keeping us down. There's nothing in the text that would say that it's this the story is about us at all. Because who knows,
6: God might give you the word that you need today to make it through something you're gonna go through in three months that you don't even know about yet. You, you never know. You gotta be ready and be ready for whatever life brings to you. He may give you something that you can share with somebody else. Your best friend might have cancer by the end of this year. And God might show you something today that you can pass on to them. So put it in the refrigerator and label it on the
0: top of the top. Now notice here that uh, Stephen Furtick's, um, well, his vision for 2014 doesn't include God sending the rain and th- this being the best year ever in your life. Whoops. Oh, he and Joel Osteen are clearly in conflict with each
6: other. And then give it to your friend. You can take the word of God and take it into every situation. So David wakes up one morning and he's instructed to take some food to his brothers who are on the battle lines fighting against the Philistines. And he's not old enough to go to war. He's a a part-time sheep tender for his dad, working in a family business. And um, on the side, he goes and plays harp. He's a a club musician. He's a harpist. And uh, he's kind of a jazz cat for the king. And he goes and plays his harp for Saul, the king, when Saul calls on him. And now he's been instructed by his father, though, on this day... And his father gives him some cheese and some bread and says, take this, take this little uh, cheese and, and, and uh, bread uh, supply to your brothers and the commanders of their unit and see how they're doing and bring back a report. So his dad tells him to do it. So he gets up and he goes out to do it. And when he gets there, he hears this rumor that there's this guy, real big guy named Goliath. And he's, he's a champion for the Philistines. And he's got all the Israelites. That's God's people. He's got them all scared. And so David is investigating the situation. That's where we're picking up in verse 26. Uh, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Next question. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I double-dog dare you to work the phrase uncircumcised Philistine into your conversation this week. Just (laughs) slip it in there, see what happens. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know, David had only been out there for a couple of hours. But the the same threats that all of the other people had been hearing for 40 days that didn't move them to action moved him to action in just a matter of moments. Because he had a willing spirit. So he asked this question, and verse 27 says,
0: Notice, um, he gave us, you know, the significance. Why is it that David was springing into action? Because he had a willing spirit. Okay, um, what in the text indicates that that's the reason why? Hmm? Hmm? Um, I would go to, like, Hebrews chapter 11 and say, well, it was his faith, because all of the exploits there mentioned in uh, Hebrews 11 we're all done by faith. Okay, so <clears throat> I would use a clear passage like that to help me understand the significance of what's going on here. What where are you going to to come up with the significance that oh well he uh, <clears throat> you know it's because he had a willing spirit. Really? Um where'd you get that? repeated
6: to him what they had been saying and told him this is what will be done for the man who kills him now, i need to tell you about that because it was an earlier verse that we didn't read so basically Saul the king made a deal and put a bounty on goliath's head and he said whoever kills this guy and gets rid of him i'll i I'll, I'll, I'll give him i'll give him my daughter in marriage and his daughter was apparently hot otherwise he wouldn't be using it as an incentive you don't have to offer no ugly girl to try to motivate somebody so and then the second reward was if you kill Goliath, you don't have to pay taxes again for the rest of your life. It's sweet, yeah. So they tell him about that. They tell him about that. Now, verse twenty-eight is where we're going to encounter the first what I'm calling force. It's 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 a person, but we're using it to represent a force.
0: And there are three. Did you hear what he said? We're using it to represent a force. So we know what the text says on level one, but I'm going to tell you the significance of it is, is that we're going to tell the story allegorically. Really, what makes you think the story was meant as some kind of allegory regarding some grand scheme or anointing that you're supposed to have for your life?
6: In this passage that represent the same forces that will try to drag you down into
0: doubt. Ah, so these these forces, they, they, these are the things that represent the forces are going to drag you down into doubt. Did God the Holy Spirit cause the writer of 1 Samuel to record the story of um, David and Goliath to represent how to overcome the forces that are going to come against you and your purpose so that you don't get drugged down into doubt? How do you know that the story of David and Goliath isn't the story of how the United States rises up and and takes dominance on the world stage and becomes the sole superpower in the world and the force for good in the world? How do you know that the story of uh, David and Goliath isn't about, you know, um, somebody who actually lived long ago and died already? How do you know? Do you understand what I'm saying here? What in the text would cause us to think that this story is about us so that we can learn how to take steps like David did in order to overcome the forces of doubt so that we can achieve our anointing and purpose? There's nothing in the text that indicates this. The story isn't about that. Before I give you the first one, I'd like you to
6: write down this thought. The constant companion of destiny
0: is doubt. And which biblical text says that? The constant companion of destiny is doubt. Why, why should I believe that the Bible wants me to embrace destiny and to eschew doubt regarding my destiny? What passage in Scripture, what passages would I go to that talk about the importance of basically embracing God-given destiny and eschewing doubt regarding that? This is a crazy way to read God's word.
6: The constant companion of destiny is doubt. David is a man of great destiny. God has anointed him to be a future king and
0: a great warrior. Yeah, and he's a direct descendant in the line of Jesus. And Jesus, one of the big, big, big pictures regarding Christ is that He's prophet, priest, and king, and for real, he will sit on the throne of David for eternity. So this is a big, important character in the Scriptures as we follow the bloodline of Jesus from Adam and Eve all the way up to Joseph and Mary. You see see what I'm saying here? Uh, David is like one of the major watershed, major moments, big, important chapters in following the bloodline of Christ through the Old Testament. It's not about me. And where in the Bible does it say that I'm going to have some grand destiny and be anointed to do something spectacular the way David was? The enemy will always attack what God anoints. And if you've got a great destiny, you need to get used to the doubts that come along with it. Uh huh. Where in the Bible does it say that we should all expect a great destiny and the doubts that come with it? You would think...
6: If God assigned a great destiny and future and plan to your life, it would immediately eliminate all doubt. I would suggest to you that if you have a great destiny, you're going to have to learn how to deal with great doubts. The constant companion
0: of destiny is doubt. Now notice, David was the for real, literally anointed king of Israel. Now he wasn't sitting in; he wasn't actually coronated, but he was anointed. Um, you know, so now we're allegorizing David's anointing and his calling on his life to somehow we, this is a parallel to my life, to your life. Uh, Clearly Stephen Furtick sees this as a parallel to his own life. Do you think that's problematic? I do. Now I I want to read about this first person to you in, in verse
6: 28, the first force of doubt that David encounters. And I want you to look for yourself in this passage. And see how this relates to you and where you are today. It says, verse 28, when, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, little sibling rivalry going on, you're about to see how David's family is dysfunctional too. <laughs> Just like yours. When his oldest brother heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? You're not very responsible. I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. What's he doing? He's accusing. He's accusing. How does the devil plant doubts in our mind concerning our destiny? By accusing us.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, notice. Notice. Second-level interpretation is is that the significance of this passage, it's all about how the devil comes to create doubts regarding your destiny in your life, because that's what apparently the devil was doing to David. Uh Uh-huh. What in the text would indicate that? Answer, nothing. There's nothing in the text to indicate that at all. The text doesn't say anything about Eliab being... Um, the vehicle for doubts of, you know, for Satan to cast doubt on David's destiny. It doesn't say that at all. It's not even hinted at. There's nothing in the text or any of the surrounding text that would say that Satan was possessing or influencing Eliab. It doesn't say that. So where is he getting this from? The answer is, is that it comes from the fact that Stephen Furtick, hasn't yet found a biblical text that isn't about him. He keeps reading himself into the Bible, and he thinks that he's rightly teaching you what God's Word says by teaching you to do the same thing that he does. See, he's a guy with an anointing, a great destiny. He's the guy who, cur- who cursed Sofa Express, and Sofa Express folded as a company, Because they weren't releasing the property to them that they wanted for one of their campi uh, for Elevation Church. I mean, so because Stephen Furtick reads himself into these biblical texts, he's teaching everybody else to do the same. But there's nothing in the text that would tell us on level one to give us an indicator or a hint that the, the, the significance of this text is teaching us something about overcoming doubt so that we can achieve our anointed destiny. This is complete narcissistic nonsense. One of the names
6: that the Bible gives to Satan, it's only mentioned one time, but I think it's one of the most accurate, is the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of God's children. And so God will show you your sin to change you, yeah? But He will never show you your shame. He will never rub your nose in what you've done wrong in order to bring you down. And
0: that's how you can know whether it's God speaking or the devil. Uh, Again, where are you getting this from? There's no texts that actually say this. You reference a text out of context and then you draw a conclusion from it that we're supposed to apply to our lives so that we can tell when we're hearing the voice of God versus the voice of the devil. But the Bible doesn't actually teach this. When God speaks to you about something
6: in your life that he doesn't like... He'll always speak in a way that will lift you up to a higher way of living. But when the enemy comes, he comes like Eliab, what? To drag you down. I know how wicked you are. What are you doing here? What are you doing in church? You know, some of you, while we were even singing today, that's what the devil was saying to you. Who do you think you are lifting your hands? You know how you lived last week. Who do you even think you are being in church? Who do you even think you are trying to study the Bible? You go to the who do you even think you are getting on a treadmill? You'll be fat in October just like you were fat last October because you never keep it up. Watch this.
0: Accusing. 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 Uh-huh. Again, all of this is a level two interpretation of Scripture that has no justification, none whatsoever, in what the text says on level one. Nor can you bring other passages to bear here to somehow make this a a legitimate interpretation of what's going on in this text. This is classic narcissistic eisegesis. And I think you kind of got the idea here. What we're dealing with is a completely narcissistic reading, self-serving reading, of, this, of what the text says, but there's nothing on level one that would indicate that, what we're, that we're supposed to understand this story as something that has to do with us and making sure that we can achieve our anointed destinies because nowhere in the Bible does it teach us to expect that, like King David, we're all supposed to have anointed destinies as well. I mean, the, the Bible teaches nothing of the sort. So I think you get what we're saying. Now, we to kind of flesh this out a little bit more, we'll actually kind of tease these concepts out in hour number two during our sermon review. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at com. or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash piratechristian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at piratechristian. Quick break when we come back. Sermon review. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. For the faith sermon review time. Now, the sermon we're going to be listening to is similar in many ways to uh, what you were listening to from Stephen Furtick. In fact, I'm going to have to do something annoying during the sermon review, so I, I got to warn you ahead of time. But we'll wait and do this right.
1: Here we go. Look
0: at the bad and the Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon uh, comes to us via Freedom Worship Center in, uh, let's see, Granite City, Illinois. Larry Cook presiding. The name of the sermon is Ordinary to Extraordinary in 2014. Now, we'll, I will continue to kind of point out, level one of, of, of exegesis has to do with what the text actually says, the words say, and then level two has to do with the significance of what those words are saying. Okay? The, the two are connected, and you don't want to come up with a level two interpretation that has nothing to do with what it act, a text actually says. Unfortunately, Larry Cook is no exegete and this is not a exegetical sermon in fact we're going to be getting a lot of really weird statements being made by larry cook during this sermon which will require me to actually do something obnoxious and that's to do this yeah let me play that a little louder yeah you can barely hear it it's that's the fail noise in fact let me go ahead and kill the music here Yeah, so that you can hear this a little louder. Every time he makes a statement that is actually not anywhere taught in the Bible, you know, some doctrine that he's basically putting out there as if this is what the Bible teaches, you know, uh, we're going to actually do this. Yeah, the Bible, uh, when when we do that, you'll know that, no, no, the Bible doesn't say that. So... You kind of get what's going on. There's a, there's a lot of moving pieces in this sermon review. I may I may have overcomplicated it. So without any further ado, here is Larry Cook and his sermon, Extra- Ordinary to Extraordinary in 2014. Here we go.
7: 1 Corinthians 2, you're there, say I'm there. And verse number 9, very familiar passage of Scripture. It says, but it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, I I guess we could go back and rewrite that just a little bit and say uh, what God has prepared in 2014 for those, Brother Bob, who love him. Amen. Uh, No, you can't
0: do that. Okay. Now, notice the significance already for the passage that he's trying to teach from, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, is that God has prepared some amazing things for you in 2014. I mean, you haven't even imagined what's coming down the pike. I mean, oh, it's just great stuff that God has in store for you. So that's the significance of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. So the level 2 interpretation has to do with 2014 just turning out to be a fantastic year for you. But is that really justified in the text? Answer, no, not even close. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, let's add some context. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature What, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except for the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of Who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God, and we impart this. uh, We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, uh, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Mm -hmm. So this isn't about you in 2014. Oh, you can't even imagine how great this is going to be for you. This is so his level two interpretation of First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine is is not even remotely justified or warranted based upon what the text is actually saying in context. He's off topic. He's ripped God's word out of context and is making promises for God that God has not himself actually made.
7: Now, I I love my church. I I love you. I love every one of you that make up Freedom Worship Center. And and I really believe that Freedom Worship Center is made up of some weird people. Amen. Turn to the person beside you and say, you're weird. (laughs) Or I could use another word there and I could say that instead of weird, you're extraordinary. How many of you believe you're not exactly ordinary or average? Amen. What does that mean? It means that you are extraordinary. You're special. Now watch Hebrews 11 and eight reminds us that without faith, what? It is impossible to do what? What? Do what? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently, here it is again, seek him. It pleases God when we believe. Believe what?
0: Yeah, okay, sure. It pleases God when we believe. We are saved by grace through faith. Faith is belief. So, um, believe what?
7: I said it pleases God when we believe. He desires to reward us. Do you realize that God desires to give you every blessing that's recorded in His Word? And it's somewhere in the neighborhood, Jim, of over 1,500 promises that are recorded in His Word. And every one of them, from Genesis to Revelation, are ours,
0: are mine. Oh, well, that's great, except for notice what he's saying. There are but.
7: There's a but here. Hallelujah. I don't mean that being selfish, because it is available to whoever would call on the name of the Lord and ask him and invite him. It pleases God when we believe. I I want to say that again. I said, it pleases God when we believe. He desires to reward us. You cannot receive all that God has for you if you don't keep your faith stirred and diligently seek him. I said it earlier. Oh, so you can't receive what God,
0: you know, God really wants to help you. and he's got these like 1,500 promises, but yeah, he can't give them to you unless you keep your faith stirred. That's
7: not what Hebrews 11 is saying. When we were joining hands and praying, but it bears repeating right here. God already knows what we have need of even before we ask him, Brian. He knows what we have need of even before we ask. But his plan and his His, uh, desire is that we call on him, that we seek him, that we diligently call on him. Amen.
0: Yes, the Lord wants us to seek in Him and call on Him. This is true.
7: Amen. That our faith be stirred and we diligently seek God. People think that blessings of God are automatic. Now, there are some things that God just... Every day of our lives, when you get up and, and you've got more... Uh, uh, another breath and you get up and you're awake, you that's a blessing of God. The air that you breathe, even those of us that breathe the Granite City air, hallelujah. We still are blessed to every day that we get up and we're, we're blessed every day automatically. There are things that God blesses us with, Eileen, that we don't even ask him for. That we don't, that we don't even really, uh, I know we appreciate them, but we don't ever give God credit for some of the things that he blesses us with. With our family, just let your health be taken from you. I'll guarantee you'll be glad that you have your health and your legs under you. And your family's all in church and things are going well. And, and, you know, you're hitting on all eight cylinders if you have an eight cylinder or you're hitting on all six or all four, whatever you got.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter how many cylinders you got. Just don't expect your spark plugs to fire all in order. You know, you can't have that happen because then you'll experience compression that'll blow your gasket out.
7: And you're being blessed. It's easy to shout and hund Hyundai. Then, but it's when you have to call on God because you've got problems and you've got circumstances and you've got situations. Uh, yeah, th- we're we're heading in a really bad direction now. And sometimes, like Gary, this past week, you're blindsided and you're not expecting it. You know, you go to the doctor and all of a sudden, you know, you're expecting to get a good report. And, and all of a sudden, you get a report that, you know, that, that, that is not so good. And, and all of a sudden, you 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 begin to think about things. And so it, it it's easy to seek God when things are good. But God always wants us to diligently seek Him. Here's the key. You ready for this? All right, what's the key? You ready for it? You may even want to write this down. You're all right, I, I got a pen out. You ready? Here it is. Get your hopes up, raise your expectations in 2014. Your best days are in front of you in 2014. Yeah, um, the Bible doesn't
0: s- promise that. I believe that with all of my heart. Yeah, well, you're believing something that's false. This is going to be a year of, of favor. Yeah, no, the Bible doesn't teach that.
7: A year of 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 blessing like we've never seen before. I truly believe that. And you listen and you uh, watch our uh, our TV evangelists and preachers and and all they're all saying that 2014 is going to be an incredible incredible year. You you
0: actually think that TV evangelists and preachers
7: actually teach the truth? <laughs> well, that
0: explains something
7: of blessing let me quote from c.s lewis who oh yeah you go ahead and do that because yeah c.s lewis yeah, huh. who said this and i quote hardships often prepare ordinary people for extraordinary destiny let me say that again hardships things you go through in your life they prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny
0: yeah now that's that's fine that um c.s lewis said that somewhere um I'd like to see the context, but uh, why should I believe I'm somebody extraordinary? I'm just Chris.
7: I've come by here with some good news for you this morning. Yeah, you know, good news.
0: Really mean like Christ died for our sins. Good news.
7: God has a destiny and a plan and a purpose in 2014. For... Yeah, no, the Bible doesn't teach that. For every person in this room. Can...
0: Yeah. No, 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 no. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that.
7: Did I get an Amen? Hallelujah.
0: Nope. Now watch
7: this, watch this. Look up here, listen. When people are counting you out, how many's ever had people count you out? <laughs> saying that you're done with. That you're finished. Can I let you know this morning when people start saying that about you? God's just getting started. Yeah, nope. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that either. <laughs> Just wait and see what he has in store for you in 2014. I believe that. Nothing in life has happened to you. It's happened for you. Let me say that again. Nothing in life has happened to you. It's happened for you.
0: Yeah, you're going to do this.
7: Yeah, nowhere in the Bible does it say that either. What do you mean, Pastor? Glad you asked. Every disappointment. Every, watch this. Every wrong thing against you, even every closed door has helped you to make and shape you into what you are right now.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, that might be true but the Bible doesn't say
7: that going forward. So, you know what this is? This is the beginning of a new year. It's the end of an old year. And so, listen, I don't care what happened to you in 2013. Um, I don't mean that disrespectfully. I'm just saying it's time to close the door on 2013 and look to God fresh and anew in 2014. How many want to be under the spout where the glory is coming out in 2014? I believe you want to be under the spout
0: where the glory is coming out. <laughs> yeah, Bible doesn't teach that either.
7: believe that. Every disappointment that you had in 2013, every wrong thing, even family members and friends that you think have forsaken you. Can I tell you, the enemy's not fighting you because you're weak. He's fighting you because you're strong.
0: Yeah, no, the Bible doesn't t- say that either. In fact, we're all born dead in trespasses and sins and in slavery to sin, death, and the
7: devil. Yeah, we're so strong we were born in slavery to the devil. huh? uh He's fighting you because you have something at work on the inside of you that he can't do anything about. Amen. Glory to God. He, and, 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 I, and I want you to understand this. Oh, I get this. The Lord laid this in my spirit this week.
0: Yeah, I seriously doubt that whatever you think was laid in your spirit, that God was the one laying it there.
7: Uh, and you've got to understand it. He's fighting you. The enemy's fighting you because you're strong. You say, well, I don't feel too strong. The pit in your life is only putting you in position for the palace. Oh, man. The pit in your life is only
0: positioning you for the palace. (laughs) Yeah, nope. The Bible doesn't teach that either.
7: Let me say that again. The pit in your life is only preparing you right now for the palace. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Life is too short to think small.
0: Life is too short to think small. Bible doesn't teach this either. Man, this guy is...
7: We need to start thinking outside the box. We need to start thinking big.
0: Yeah, the Bible doesn't teach this either. Man, this guy is just
7: one bad slogan after another. Hallelujah. People will try to label you, label you not good enough. Too slow, too old, too many mistakes. You can't stop negative comments or prevent negative labels. How many's ever had something negative said about you? I got both hands and my feet up if I could get it. We've all had negative things um, Irene said about us and against us. And you know what? Even family members. <laughs> You can't stop negative comments or prevent negative labels, but you can choose. Watch this. Here's the key. You can choose to not let them hold you back. It's a choice. You can. Yeah. Uh, the Bible doesn't teach this either. You can take it for what it is. Shake the dust off of your feet and move forward. Or you can waller in your pity. And you can hold yourself right there in that and you'll not advance. Have you ever heard the word wallow with an R? You can waller in your pity. Okay. Advance any further than you are right now in the kingdom of God. The Bible doesn't teach that either. You'll state right where you are. Amen? Nope. You're equipped, anointed. Can I just encourage you this morning? That's what I feel like I need to do. You're equipped, you're anointed. You're a, you're a mighty fighting machine. Yeah, nope, sorry. Turn to the person beside you and say, You're a fi- fighting machine. Amen. And, and I want you to know this. You're equipped, you're anointed, and, and well able to do everything that God has called you to do. You know what we need to do at the beginning of this year, Ron? If we need to put on Ephesians 6. <laughs> You know, put on Ephesians six. Okay. We need to turn and read, and you've read it maybe a thousand times, but I want to encourage you to get your Bible out this week and get to Ephesians 6 and put on the whole armor of God in your life at the beginning of this year, and let's move forward. Let's advance the kingdom of God. Let's push back the darkness. And let
0: Yeah, that would require you to actually handle God's Word correctly, preach law and gospel correctly, pro- proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins, you know, things like that, and yeah, and- That ain't happening. I feel like darkness has actually conquered whatever this church is.
7: See where God will take this ship in 2014. Can I get an amen? Mm -hmm. I'm preaching way better uh, than some of you shouting. Amen. No, you're not preaching well at all. It doesn't matter what people have spoken over you if you'll keep taking steps of faith and honoring God. Uh, Nope, the Bible doesn't teach this either. (laughs) Man, I've had some stuff spoken over me and said over me right in this city. Some of you have too. And we could let those things affect us if we really wanted to. And I have the type of personality that I have to really guard myself because, you know, I want everybody to like me. And I got a newsflash for you. Not everybody likes you.
0: Now, here's my question. Um, do you remember that this sermon began with that 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9? No eye has seen, no ears. Yeah. Um, all of this is commentary that is supposedly telling us the significance of what that verse said. Does anything he's saying actually connect at all with what that verse really says? Answer? No, not even close.
7: Not everybody likes you. <laughs> Now we can we can we can take that for what it is, or we can move forward in what God has. take steps of faith, let it roll off of our back He will take you places that you 've never dreamed of before don 't lose your identity in your circumstances you know, too- yeah um, again, what passage says this? <laughs> Way too many people Brother Tommy get all mixed up in their circumstances and they lose their destiny they lose where they're
0: going in God where does the Bible say that if you get caught up in your circumstances you can lose your destiny
7: nope Bible doesn't teach that either because they're all mixed up in their in their stuff what does Jesse Ritchie say you know all you know all all mixed up in your stuff you know and that's the problem with a lot of people. Don't lose your identity in your circumstances. You are who God says you are. It doesn't matter what blow Joe down the streets. No, that's true. What does God say I am? says it doesn't matter what anybody says it doesn't matter what family members say it doesn't matter all oh, i'm interested in this morning brother buddy
0: scripture says that if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us and yet if we con- confess our sins god who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness mm-hmm. that's what first uh, john says so um scripture says you and i are sinners The need to confess and repent of our sins. Is that what you mean? It's pleasing the
7: King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I'm concerned about what he thinks about me and who he says I am. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Say, preach, Pastor Larry. You have a destiny to fulfill something greater than you've ever even imagined.
0: Yeah, where does the Bible say that I have a destiny fulfilled that's even greater that I could even imagine? Um yeah, uh, this this is a silly teaching, I mean at best. Um not only that, it is actually very devastating, you know, in the worst in the worst case scenario, the reason why is because this is a poor substitute, and I mean that very poor substitute. Uh, for the biblical teaching regarding the fact that each and every one of us as Christians have different gifts and that we work together as a body, uh-huh. I'm thinking of First uh, Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12. Let me read starting at verse 12. Here's what it says: For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body Jews or Greeks slaves or free and all are made to drink of one spirit for the body does not consist of one member but of many if the foot should say because I am not a hand I do not belong to the body that would make it would that make it any less a part of the body no and if an ear should say because I am not an eye I do not belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts Yet one body, yet the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. that different parts of the body have different functions and purposes. If everybody has some grand dream destiny to, uh, you know, to fulfill, um, where would the um, well? Where would the ears be? Where would the toes be? Where would the the less important, seemingly less important parts of the body be? Hmm? Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, First Corinthians chapter twelve. And the discussion of the fact that each one has different gifts—it's not saying that we all have dream destinies. It's saying that some people, you know, you might think that they're they're dispensable when they have such a humble role within the body of Christ, but in fact, they're not—they're not they are not they are not dispensable. They're indispensable. You get what I'm saying? We move along.
7: Amen. But if you're going to become all you were created to be, you've got to take out off the average label from your life.
0: Uh, no, the Bible nowhere says anything about average labels that we need to take off of our lives. Yeah, this guy continues to just literally add things to God's word. The God's word doesn't say
7: anywhere. Way too many people, Jim, in the body of Christ just haven't. They, they just think they're average. I come by here to tell you when Jesus saved you, you stopped being ordinary and you became extraordinary. Nope, Bible doesn't say that anywhere either. Amen. (laughs) Somebody needs to hear what I'm getting ready to say right now. You may be in this room. You may be listening by live stream. I think Gary may be listening to us. We are. Hey, Gary. And you may hear this later by CD. I don't know. But I, I've got something I need to say to you, and everybody in this room needs to hear this. Here's a word for you. You come to hear a word? Here it is. Here it is right here. You may even want to write this down. I can hardly wait. You're not defined by what people say about you. You are defined by what God says you are. Now, technically,
0: there's some truth there. I'm not going to buzz that. The problem is the way he's using it is completely
7: false. You've got to, you've got to get a hold of that. You've, I could stop right there and just keep, I could preach on that all, all afternoon, but I'm not going to. It's not always what you go through in life. It's how you go through it. Let me say that again. It's not what you go through in life. As much as it is, is how you go through it.
0: How- yeah, again. No, he's not actually teaching anything that the Bible really says.
7: How you perceive it. How you deal with it within your life. We all face life's problems. Anybody in this room ever not had a problem? (laughs) And and a lot of times these life's problems, they have a negative effect on keeping our faith up and our seeking God. I know what I'm talking about. I'm preaching to the choir this morning. I know what it is. I've had my own struggle, my own difficulty, where I've had to pull myself up and my strength to be renewed, and my faith to be strengthened. We have big hopes and we have big dreams, but we... Now
0: notice, are we really hearing anything about Jesus and what he's done for us? No, not at all. This is completely narcissistic, self-centered reading of of verses out of context and then making stuff up about God.
7: We have, but let me say this, the bigger the hopes, the bigger the dreams, the bigger the problems we face. Because, see, the enemy...
0: Yeah, again, <laughs> Bible doesn't teach this either.
7: According to John 10 and 10, I didn't say it. John Hagee didn't say it. Rod Parsley didn't say it. Jesus said it. According to John 10 and 10, there's somebody that doesn't like you. It's the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. To take you out. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to give you Every blow that he can to take
0: Yeah, he's twisting John ten ten. Not go read it in context. Context begins all the way back in uh, the beginning of chapter nine.
7: Take you out. Some of you have had some blows this week. That man, you felt it. He come in, bashed you right upside your head, and you were not even ready for it. But that's how he does. That's how he operates. But I want you to understand something. We can become discouraged. We can skip church. We can best endure the praise service. Or you know, we can just endure it and get through it, but and, and don't praise. We don't pray. We don't give. We, we feel the problem is too large. It's taken my job. My sickness is too rough. My storm is too large. If you think you're average, then you'll be average. If you think
0: Yeah, uh Bible doesn't say that either. Think you're ordinary, then
7: you'll live ordinary. The truth, yeah, the Bible doesn't t- say that either. Truth is, there is nothing ordinary about you. Hallelujah! You have something to offer that nobody else can offer. Everybody in this room has something to offer that somebody else in this room can't offer.
0: Now, if you're going to put this in the context of spiritual gifts, I might let you slide. But you're twisting God's word still.
7: We're all unique in our own special way. God made you for purpose. God made
0: you. Yeah, um, what's the purpose that God made us for? Some grand purpose or is God's purpose to save us? See the difference?
7: He created you. I want to help you understand something this morning. Is this okay? Because I want you to get this in the beginning of this new year. Average people have average problems. Ordinary people have ordinary problems. Bible doesn't say this at all. But I've come by here with a strong word for you this morning. The moment you gave your heart to Jesus, you got a promotion. You went from being ordinary to being extraordinary. Yeah, no verse says that either. You're not average, and you're not ordinary. I said you're not average, and you're not ordinary. You are a child of God. You're extraordinary. This means you and I will will not have average and ordinary problems. We will have extraordinary problems.
0: Nope, Bible doesn't say that either. Wow, this guy's just like, I mean, totally not qualified to even be a pastor. I mean, he's more like like a mouthpiece for the devil.
7: In reality, the more, watch this, look up here. You got to hear this. In reality, the more extraordinary your life is, the more extraordinary your problems are going to be. Nope. Bible doesn't teach that either. Amen. God does not match your problems according to how you think they should be or what you think you can handle. God matches your problem according to the size of your future and the size
0: Nope, that's not true either.
7: ...size of your destiny. If you face extraordinary problems, be encouraged. It means you have an extraordinary future. No, it doesn't.
0: This guy's lying through his teeth.
7: Wow. Ahead of you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I feel like running. For example, for example, why do people talk negatively about you? Why do they attempt to make you look bad to others? Realize they don't talk about average people because average people don't have any influence. Wow. They talk about exceptional people with influence. That's why they talk about you. (laughs) Touch at least three people around you and say, that's why they talk about you. Amen. That's why they talk about you. Now, we don't have to look any further, Alyssa, than the word of God to find exactly what I'm talking about because Jesus was exceptional. Would you agree with that? Would you say Jesus was probably the most uh, exceptional Exceptional person that we have ever read of or have ever in the history of the world. Jesus was extraordinary, extraordinary. Did people talk negatively about him? Yes. Big time. He was without any reputation because of the ridicule and the attack upon him. Let me take you to the word of God to convince you because don't. Yeah, please do. Because, again,
0: watch what he's going to be doing here. It's going to be a level two interpretation of a text. And level one doesn't even remotely hint at what he's saying. Listen carefully.
7: Don't take my word for it. John 15 and verse 20. Look what it says in your Bible, your Bible. And Glenn's got the New King James pulled up there because that's what I read out of. But let me read that to you. Remember the word that I have said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, there it is. If they persecuted me, then they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Jesus said, don't expect to get by without being talked about negatively.
0: Right, because a servant isn't greater than his master. That was the reason on level one. That's what it said. Yet you're saying, oh, we're going to be persecuted because we're important. That's not what Jesus said. You've missed the whole point of this text. And the thing that you're saying is so significant about it cannot be justified in any other passage of Scripture, nor even with what the text
7: itself says clearly on level one. Because you will. Instead Instead, accept it and move on. Understand it; it comes with the territory. Hallelujah! It comes with the territory. We think we should get special treatment as a child of God, and you will shake it off and go on. In fact, it's not a, a good sign if you're not talked about. I'd much rather be talked about. I was thinking how we we how that we had an a, a extraordinary amount of critics since we started Freedom Worship Center.
0: Yeah, you got one right here, and I'm criticizing your Bible twisting.
7: Going on five years now. And we've had our shares of ups and downs, and, you know, and the enemy has come in and tried to, you know, wreak havoc, but he's a liar and defeated. But we have two choices when critics, and listen, somebody needs to really hear this this morning.
0: We have, By the way, if you have critics, there's a third choice. I'll get to that in a second.
7: We have two choices when someone's coming against you verbally. We have two choices when we face the situation. We could sit and feel sorry for ourselves and waller in it. Or we can say, thank you, Jesus.
0: Yeah. You know what you can do is listen carefully to your critic. And if your critic actually is making a valid criticism. That what you're be what you're saying or what you're doing isn't actually in accord with what God's word says. Open up the Bible and see if what they're saying is true. You may have a critic who is actually criticizing you in order to open your eyes to the fact that you're deceived and wants you to believe the truth and to repent and to be set free from false doctrine. That's the other option.
7: Amen. Let me remind you again this morning that we must expect extraordinary, extraordinary problems because you are extraordinarily different. Amen. Yeah, again, Bible doesn't see that say this. And the extraordinary problems and extraordinary difficulties and extraordinary persecution. It goes with the territory. Why is it every time you pursue your dream you run into major problems and major difficulties? How many's ever been on on your way walking with God and man yeah, where does the bible say
0: you got to pursue your major dream and expect major difficulties if you're going to pursue your major dream? Um
7: bible doesn't say that either. And you're you're running and things are going well and and all of a sudden boom it's just like your you know your legs are just knocked out from under you. Your dream seems to be shattered. I've come by here this morning to tell you that your dream needs to be rekindled within your heart. And it's, you know why? It's because the enemy's fought you is because you have a major future. If you never try to accomplish anything.
0: No, the Bible doesn't teach that you have a major future. You could be worm food tomorrow.
7: You'll never face anything in your life. You'll just kind of go through life and you'll, you know, you'll just kind of float through and, you know, everything will be fine. The larger your dream, the larger the difficulties. The more we dream at Freedom Worship Center, the more that we will be attacked.
0: Yeah, actually, again, the reason you're being criticized is because you're twisting God's word and teaching these people something that isn't even sound biblical doctrine. It's a complete
7: mythological, nonsensical, narcissistic lie. Because the enemy will see to it. But we can overcome all of those obstacles and you can overcome them in your life. Don't begin complaining, saying things like, why has this happened to me? Why did I? Why did I lose my job? Why did I have to have this sickness come on me? The the obstacle is not there to defeat you. It's there to promote you. Listen.
0: Yeah, um, if it's illness, it may be there to kill you
7: i what i 've went through this past year, I feel like it 's promoted me. I really do you, you can use it as a stumbling block or a stepping stone it 's up to you it's up nobody can some preacher can 't do it for you. somebody can 't slap you upside the head and cause it to happen it 's up to you. The obstacle is not there to defeat you. It's there to promote you. It's use the stumbling block as a stepping stone. After you get past it, you'll immediately experience a new level of God's favor and blessing in your life. Do you realize David? Yeah. Bible doesn't teach that either. David. Now watch. I'm, I promise I'm getting we're, getting. we're going to take communion in a little bit. But I, you've got to hear this. Do you realize that David would only be recorded as a shepherd boy if it had not been for Goliath? False. Again,
0: um, David was anointed king of Israel before the incident with Goliath.
7: Think about that for a minute. Only thing we would ever read about David, the story of David, is he would have been recorded as a shepherd boy. Amen. If it had not been for Goliath. Goliath was an extraordinary problem, he was a huge problem and a skilled warrior. David was a teenage boy in the natural. David didn't have a chance. What was God doing? God was setting David up for his future. What's this? You need to get a hold of this.
0: God- uh, no, um, God was not setting David up for his future. Oh, man, again, what what is this guy?
7: Pre- uh, where's he getting this stuff? God presented David with an extraordinary, extraordinary problem because David was an extraordinary person with an extraordinary future and destiny. Hallelujah. And apparently you are too. The things which promoted David toward his destiny, the thing that promoted him the most was Goliath.
0: No, it was the Lord. (laughs)
7: The biggest obstacle in his life was Goliath.
0: Wrong. It was a sinful nature.
7: And it's the very thing that promoted him in life immediately. No, God is the one who promoted him. After David got past Goliath, he realized a new level of God's favor.
0: No passage of Scripture says that. In fact, after the Goliath incident, David found himself... Uh, In the palace with Saul, and it wasn't too long after that when Saul was trying to kill
7: him and pin him to the wall with a spear. And so I say to you this morning, what you've got to do, everybody in this room, you've got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and move yourself past the Goliath that's in your life. Eh, No, the Bible doesn't teach us to do this either before it's got to get out of your way. You've got to overcome it. You've got to walk out on it. Let it become your stepping stone.
0: Yeah, actually, Jesus is the one who overcame our Goliath. Our Goliath is the devil. Christ conquered him on the cross.
7: So that you can go on to what God has called you to and called you for in 2014. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The extraordinary problem, Goliath brought out the extraordinary person in David. Your extraordinary problems will bring out the extraordinary you. Some of you are facing some seemingly impossible giant situations right now in your life. And if I'd ask you to raise your hand, there'll be several of you to raise your hand. I don't even have to to ask. I know that there are. You're facing some things in your life. Some of you right now, and you came into this building this morning, you may be sitting in this room hearing this message through live stream or by way of CD later on, regardless of how you're hearing this word, receive it. God is telling you he has an extraordinary future for you. God did not call you so your problem would defeat you, Billy. God didn't call you so your problem would defeat you. Amen. Say amen or ouch. He called you to conquer your problem.
0: Nope. Christ has conquered
7: our problem for us. I said he called you to conquer your problem. Romans 8 and 37 in your Bible reminds us you and all of these things were, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us.
0: Uh, Notice, out of context, Romans chapter 8. Wonderful passage, by the way. Romans chapter 8 begins with these wonderful words, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Yeah, see, uh, Romans chapter 8 is about what Christ has done for us, not what we're supposed to do in order to achieve our dream destiny.
7: Your problem and your obstacles may be a Goliath or and, and whatever it is in your life. Just fill in the blank. God would not allow it if he didn't know you could conquer it. Bible doesn't say that either. Amen. Hear me. God wouldn't allow it if He didn't think you could conquer it. God doesn't allow small people to face big challenges. Man, I. Bible doesn't say that either. This came in my spirit this week and I just can't get out of it. If you're facing a big challenge, then you're a big person with a big future and a big destiny.
0: Bible doesn't say this either.
7: God will not give you a Goliath, a major challenge, and not give you exactly what you need to conquer the Goliath within your life. Greater's he that's in you. Greater's he that's in you. Yeah,
0: this is true, but you're ripping that passage out of context, too. That passage has nothing to do with conquering Goliaths because we have some big dream destiny to fulfill.
7: Greater! He that's in you Than he that is in the world Hallelujah We've heard this scripture quoted many times But when you study the context You'll notice something really cool Look at it with me for a minute 1 John 4 and verse 3 Look at it Glenn's got it up there It says in every spirit That does not confess that Jesus Christ has come In the flesh is not of God And this is the spirit of the antichrist What you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. How many knows there's a spirit of Antichrist that's loosed in our world today? Oh, come on. Uh, Thank
0: Yeah, um, this is true. This passage is speaking the truth. There is a spirit of Antichrist. Um, But it has nothing to do with holding you back from your dream destiny.
7: Thank you for that thunderous amen. Hallelujah. There's a spirit of Antichrist that is loosed in our world today. Jesus is there he's addressing look at here look at verse 4 you are of God little children and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world now let me give you the the layman's version of that that means nothing the devil throws at you is big enough to take you out including the antichrist <laughs>
0: I don't think this guy's
7: ever been to seminary. This is horrifyingly bad. God put everything you need inside... God put everything you need, Bob, inside of you to take you to your destiny.
0: Bible doesn't say that
7: either. To conquer your Goliath. Wrong again. To overcome every obstacle in your life. Yep, you're not getting much right here. Your obstacle may be that you know, you brought your kids up in church and they, you know, at one time had a relationship with the Lord, but where are they today? See, I really believe with all of my heart, if you will keep the faith and understand and realize that all that you put into them at a younger age is gonna come back to them. It will come, it will come back to them. I didn't say that, God did. It it will come back to them. Train up a child in the way it should go and when it's old. What? They'll not depart from it. So if they've drifted, here's a word for you that have got kids that have drifted. If you don't already have them in the soul bowl, you need to get them in there. Because they're coming back. They're, they're coming in. See, so we all have things that we, you know, that, that are the Goliaths in our life. But God has already empowered you to fulfill every dream that God's put in your heart. The size of the problem is...
0: Yeah. No, Bible doesn't say that either.
7: It's not what matters. Watch this. The size of the problem is not what matters. It's the size of what is in within you that matters. Wrong. Let me say that again. The size of the problem is not what matters. What matters is is what it the size of what is within inside of you.
0: Seriously, where is he getting any of this? This is just utter, complete nonsense and tripe.
7: Why are people who call themselves Christians sitting under this nonsense? In your spirit, in your life, when I was a boy, and mom will remember this, but when I, I was a boy once, <laughs> but when I was a boy, we had a little dog and the little dog's name was Fritz. Remember that dog we had, Mom Fritz, and we had had her for a lot of years, and she was a little Datsun. Uh, oh, that's a car, isn't it, Datsun? No. Uh, man, we rode that thing everywhere. No, I'm just kidding. But it, it was a Datsun, or were they, Wiener, Wiener. Huh? That too, yes. Uh, Wiener dog, how's that? That's what we used to call it. But anyway, that was, a, it was the neatest little dog, and, I, and the dog was small. Maybe maybe ten inches high, and it was a house dog, and we all loved Fritz. Great little dog. I'll never forget. You know, we'd had him had her for years, and never forget when she finally died. Got died of old age. It liked to killed us. How many's ever lost a dog, and he felt like he lost a kid in the process. Uh, it hurts. But I remember one day my my sister Terry and I, my older sister uh, Terry and I, were playing out in the yard when this big, huge, black dog, Dave, came in into um, the yard. And the dog growled at us. Big dog. I don't remember now what kind of dog it was. Re- irrelevant. But it was a big, black dog. And little Fritz came around the corner and saw that dog there growling at my sister and I. And the hair on Fritz's little, back of her little neck stood up. And she growled she showed, she showed her teeth. Mom, remember how she'd growl and show her teeth? And with, without hesitating, ran toward that Goliath dog, that black Antichrist dog, <laughs> as fast as her short little legs would carry her. And I thought, oh, no, this dog is going to have... So we're, we're, we're having the retelling of the story of David and Goliath from a dachshund. Uh-huh. Have Fritz for lunch. He'll swallow her with one bite but that's not what happened that big dog when realized that that little dog wasn't intimidated wasn't afraid of that big dog and with her teeth you know and her growl and she's running full speed with her little legs towards that big dog that dog i i is, is god is my witness tucked its tail between its legs and little fritz snipped at its back end and it took off running down the road that little dog had conquered Goli- that day.
0: Yeah, boy, that that little dog sure did act out in faith. Must I mean must have a big dream destiny for its life, right? Because I mean, that was a big obstacle that was that it had to overcome. I wonder what Fritz's big dream destiny
7: was. So I want you to understand that I said that, Eileen, to say this: it's not the size of your problem that matters. Get a hold of that. It's not the size of your problem that matters. It's what's inside of you. Again.
0: Nope, Bible doesn't teach this.
7: That matters.
0: Why are Christians saying amen to this?
7: We have the greatest power in the universe working within us. Ephesians 3, and I'm going to close with this as the worship team returned. Ephesians 3 Verse 20 in your Bible says this, Now to him who is able... Yeah, and this is doxology. This is the end of a prayer here in uh, Ephesians 3. Able. and we heard this earlier in a confirmation here, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Then look at verse 21. Bob, we always quote verse 20, but we've, we leave out 21. And I want you to see what it says. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all, everybody say all, generations forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. If you're in the church... You are an extraordinary person, extraordinary. Yeah, I've already buzzed this so many times I can't keep doing it. Very individual with extraordinary power working within you, serving an extraordinary God that's at work in 2014 to accomplish great exploits. But it can only be done through the avenue of his people and of the church. Hallelujah. Stand with me this morning. Oh, wow, I'm glad that's over. Wow.
0: Horrifying. Yeah, that was pretty much the same species of bad doctrine that we were hearing earlier from um, Stephen Furtick. And in some sense, the same species of bad doctrine we were also hearing from Joel Osteen. All of these suffering from the same common problem, twisting God's word telling us the significance of a text by completely ignoring what the text actually says, doing a level two interpretation that has no connection whatsoever to what the text actually says on level one, just allegorizing it and turning into some blueprint so that you can achieve some dream destiny. But the Bible nowhere teaches that God promises you a dream destiny, nor does he promise that if you're facing a big problem, that shows you, that should hint to you and be a big hint. Whoo, God's dream destiny for you it's ginormous. You are way more important than you could possibly imagine. And the focus of all of that type of preaching is you, rather than what Christ has done for you. This, isn't, this is the, what it means to preach the opposite of to preach Christ. If you're going to preach Christ, preach Christ. These people are not preaching Christ. They're preaching themselves, and preaching themselves into the pit of hell by doing so. So what do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Pirate Christian. So tomorrow may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, despite vicarious Death on the cross for all your sins. Amen.